special edition of Promo Insiders, the ASI media podcast that covers the issues that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm Teresa Hegel, Executive Editor of Digital Content, and in this episode, we'll be talking with Daniel Cardoza of Ethics Merch and Lauren Piller of Eco Marketing Solutions about some of the strategies they use to overcome client objections to sustainable branded merch. All right, thank you guys so much for being here. I'm really excited. So hopefully um, you've seen our Promo for the Planet page that we we have up on ASI Central. That's something that we are trying to you know, update every every week. I have at least three new things that go up there. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, I think it's a really good resource. But I'm, as I'm telling everyone, I'm always looking for more ideas and and more input. So, if you have things you want to know more about, or uh, stories from your own companies that were, are related to sustainability, you know, please feel free to reach out to me because, um, you know, the more information we put up there, I think the better. Uh, but today I have with me uh, Daniel. Uh, Cordoza of Ethics Merch, and I, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, you know overcoming customer resistance to sustainable and ethical merch because you know people always talk about you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that want to buy things that are sustainable, but as soon as the cost is a little bit more, then that desire kind of drops off. So what are the what are the strategies we use to actually um, convince more people that this is worth kind of buying into. Um, so Daniel, can you start off and just tell us a little bit more about you and, and your company and your background? Yeah, uh, hey everyone, this is, I'm not a Twitter user, so if I'm doing anything wrong here, uh, shout it out. Um, my name is Daniel, I'm with Ethics Merch, and we're a um, distributorship that's focused on uh, sustainability and labor rights. And we've been around since about 2005. We actually came from the supplier side originally. Uh, our company was called SweatX back in 2002, 2000, 2003. And we were a factory in Los Angeles that was um, union-made and worker-owned. Uh, started with funds from Ben & Jerry's uh, from their Hot Fudge Venture Social Capital Fund. Um, and uh, quickly realized back then that... Uh, what we were producing for um, was for retail and the market was actually in uh, wholesale for promotional. So factory shut down and then we started up as a distributorship and we've kind of been laboring in more or less obscurity uh, ever since then. And uh, I came on with ethics in 2007. Uh, I came into promotional products as a, a sweat-free activist, anti-sweatshop activist, and never thought I would be in any kind of business. Um, much less in in promotional products and swag, but but here I am, uh, CEO of Ethics. Um, so many years later, and I'm glad I did it. And because every day I get the opportunity to work with organizations um, who want to do the right thing and are just um, interested in learning how, and uh, I get to have my footprint on real world projects and encouraging people to to go the right direction. And I find a lot of of value in that. So you mentioned that you have a background in like sweat-free or you know sweatshop-free uh, labor. Like how how did you get in, involved in that, and how did it lead you to to come to ethics? Yeah, so um, I mean, I actually started out through the uh, progressive Jewish community in in Los Angeles. Uh, I was on the economic justice working group of a of a Jewish group called Progressive Jewish Alliance. And they had me attend on their behalf the National Sweat-Free Summit, uh, which was happening every year in response to, um, you know, globalization that was happening in the, in the 90s and early 2000s um, and uh, the exploitation of labor that was happening around the world as a result. So there were these National Sweat-Free Summits that were designed to get um, organizations and individuals to, to purchase more ethically. And they were super fun. Um, and I realized in attending those, I, I, I attended one every few years in like 2005, six and seven, um, that I wanted to be part of a proactive solution. I didn't want to be somebody who, uh, you know, always just went out into the streets and boycotted, you know, companies like 
Nike and Gap who were getting in trouble for having subcontracted factories that were exploiting workers. I wanted to be part of directing people towards something good that was already in existence. So that's when I met Kevin O'Brien, who was the <clears throat> one of the three founders of, of Ethics and at one of those events. And he said, why don't you just come on board here, you know, get off the streets uh, and help help make the world better. And so I've, I've decided to do that. Okay, that's that's awesome. So, you know, I, I know, yeah, obviously, like the ethical merch is, is important, but I know sustainability, you know, from a like environmental perspective, is also uh, of interest to you. Like, how how, how did you get um, interested in things being more sustainable in that sense? Yeah, I would say right around the time that I was starting, you know, I was becoming more awake to the sustainability crisis, as I think we all were. Maybe I was a little bit late to the game in my in my focus on labor rights more exclusively, but ethics was doing, focusing on a lot of union um, factories and union-made products and worker co-ops and stuff. But it's clear to me and it's become clear over time that, you know, worker rights don't matter if there's not a world to live in, right? And not only that, but workers are exposed a lot of times to the worst impacts of our unsustainable choices so if you have if you have workers working with harmful chemicals for example it's going to hit them harder than even than the end user so they're they're very much related um and then you know i'd have to be uh i'd have to be blind not to understand like the the heading that we're on just in the world and that it's um every person in every job at every moment has to be thinking about the ways that they can participate in uh, more sustainable choices so that we don't use up all of our resources and change the uh, the climate uh, in a way that's going to impact the lives of millions of people, not to mention other species. So uh, it's it's really just taking different parts of my life and, and putting them together uh, and, tr and trying to do the right thing um, in both senses of people and planet. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So with, you know, obviously, you know, I can go on your website and, and you guys kind of lay out like what you're all about. But so do you find that if, do, are customers coming to you that already have like the buy in for ethical and sustainable merch or do you still have to do some convincing? <clears throat> uh, we still have to do convincing. It, it's we're a little bit unique in that um, on the labor side of things, we just have a made in USA baseline where people will say, um, hey, I want to do this ethically, but can you show me a USA made t-shirt and a made in China t-shirt? And hopefully I'll choose the USA one, but um, maybe for budget, I'll choose the made in China t-shirt. And we'll say, well, I can't quote you the made in China t-shirt or the made in China, you know, pen or whatever it might be. And so we lose a lot of customers right off the bat that way. And hopefully we put our messaging out there so that we just don't get a lot of people um, in that boat. And that's true. But where we where we have to do the most convincing is on the environmental front because we do have more of a labor focused message. We have people like a lot of labor unions, for example, come in who are like, yeah, I care about the union bug, or I care about made in USA, um, or I care about fair trade or or worker ownership, and then they're just not speaking the language of sustainability. So we have to introduce that at that point. And that becomes hard for a company like ours, who we say no to a lot of business. Um, so we have to also then put pressure on folks to make like a double choice that has double cost implications. So we're asking people to pay more for uh, labor rights. Uh, USA and union labor make for more expensive products, obviously. Um, and then we also have to encourage them to make a more sustainable choice, which also sometimes adds adds to cost. And that's something we're grappling with and figuring out over time. Yeah. Um, how do we how do we stay afloat uh, with all those limitations? And that doesn't mean that we don't do it, but it does mean that uh, it's hard. Yeah. So what I mean, do you have some some strategies that that have worked for you? Um, what what do you guys what are you what have you figured out so far that kind of will help tip the conversation? <laughs> Yeah. So uh, in anticipation of this, I wrote down some of the ideas that I have and some of the things that we use. And um, I guess I'll just start with w the biggest one, which is just truth telling. And I think people appreciate 
that and it doesn't scare people away as much as maybe people are afraid it will. Mm. So um, the same things flat out like, hey, this uh, this product has a really negative impact on the environment. Like uh, its eco footprint is, is huge. You know, I understand that you might need to go with this product, but here's another choice that's a lot more sustainable uh, if you want to consider it. And then if I spend a, a nice solid paragraph in my pitch email talking about the cool environmental sustainability aspects of a particular product, and then I spend one line on the alternative, on the cheap alternative, it's sending a message to that client saying, hey, I can make this person happy <laughs> by, you know, by going with this, with this other item and I can appease my own conscience, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not going to work every time. But you'd be surprised, I think, how people will respond to just being asked explicitly to do the right thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I have a lot of other ideas that I can talk about, but that's that's one of them. Okay. Well, let, yeah, I see that, that Lauren, we have Lauren here now, um, Lauren Pillar of um, Eco Marketing, uh, And I, I want to get her introduced to uh, – so, Lauren, could you tell us a little bit about um, – you know, your, your company, your background, and how you got into sustainability? Uh, sure. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so let's see. I've been in the promotional products business, like, my entire life. Grew up with it. Um, my grandparents got into it, my dad, and then I took over. <laughs> um, my dad had set up, like, an eco website back in, like, 2008, but he's more into tech and stuff, so he went that route. So I asked if I could take it over. Um, he's just like, I don't get eco. Like, what is it? I'm like, right now it's nothing. But as like in the next few years, it's the way of the future or we're doomed. You know, like people are going to pick it up and it's going to become trendy. I just know it. And sure enough, it's happening. People are finally catching on. Um, and it's just like a lifestyle now. You know, like if you, I'm promoting a lifestyle with this basically instead of just selling promotional products. And giving it a nice, like, millennial take on things as well. Okay. So, I, you know, the thing I was just asking Daniel was about whether you get a lot of pushback from from clients, if, you know, if some of these choices are a little bit more expensive. And if so, like, what are some strategies you use um, to convince them that, you know, going the sustainable route is is the better route? Sure, yeah. I definitely get some pushback from people. But I usually just, you know, let them know with more sustainable products, it's because it's sourced uh, more um, ethically and sustainably. And at the same time, you don't have to, you know, buy as many promotional products over time because they're high quality. And if you do recycle them or get rid of them, they're not as terrible for the environment. But because you're spending more money and they're nicer products, people are going to actually, you know, want to use them and carry them around. So I feel like as long as people get that concept and know at the same time that it's making a difference, then they don't seem to have a problem. And if they do, <clears throat> excuse me, they're probably not the right clientele for eco-marketing anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it's a good point because I, I think that, you know, some people are so focused on that, the price, but you have to look at it kind of holistically. Like you said, like how long is this item going to last? Like what are the, uh, like, kind of the, the hidden costs uh, of making it, um, you know, if you actually add up how, how long it's going to last, like how, how you get rid of it, how it was made, like it, it isn't actually more expensive. It's all that other stuff that's really expensive, but you just don't necessarily see that on, on that price tag. Um. Yeah, exactly. So once people understand that, that it's a, it's not just a product that they're spending money on. It's a whole life cycle and then showing that their products are eco and in the world it just gets them more business and it feel like it's a a win-win at the end of the day as well if they see it that way yeah yeah um daniel you said you had some other ideas what's what's another one you have for for changing uh consumers minds all right so um just i think that um making it kind of fun at the same time as just putting it in their in their face, uh, I think is the is the way to go. Like so, everyone I think most people understand at this point that dramatic change is needed, right? So we can say things in our industry that are controversial and that they're not going to hear from other promotional product distributors, 
and I think it will land okay with people. Um, so, for example, like the concept of buying less stuff. Uh, I think that's something, you know, Lauren was mentioning millennials, and I think that's a message that millennials respond to. Um, and increasingly, baby boomers and other generations as well understand that we can't just keep churning stuff out and putting it out to the world over and over again. So um, how do you have a business where you're encouraging people to buy less stuff? So one easy way is to say, well, spend, spend your budget, um, but spend it m more intelligently so that instead of buying a whole bunch of low cost items um, that the majority of which are going to end up in the trash, uh, for example, like those really thin um, non-woven tote bags that people give away at, at conventions, um, and then also pens that stop working after, you know, five uses um, and end up in the trash. Can you kind of use, can we use our industry experience to say like, hey, that may not be the best use of your budget for multiple reasons. Can you consider buying fewer giveaway items? Say, for example, giving them out uh, a little bit less haphazardly. Um, so if you're at a trade show, for example, maybe save the giveaways for people that you have meaningful interactions with, and then it can be kind of a more uh, higher cost, uh, more robust item that they'll maybe keep and, and remember a little bit more and that can be sustainable. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, yeah, I mean, another thing that I think is so important is just like, the, the telling telling the story of these products and and kind of the the marketing and and the education aspect. Um, Lauren, it looked like you were about to speak, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. But yeah, while you're rolling, just gonna reiterate. That. But yeah, the, yeah, like I think it's interesting to see like uh, the younger like perspectives come into this industry, just because. I've seen it over the years of just how wasteful the pen. I mean, I like pens, so you can't go wrong, but it's just like, I don't know. If we can find a fun way to make it creative and less wasteful at the same time. But yeah, I'm just blabbering on now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, people, people, like we can, we definitely still see that there is this desire and need for cool merch because, you know, you can look at any, um, like fast food restaurants, like Dunkin' Donuts or, or whatever. And every time they release some kind of new thing, like people go crazy over it. But at the same time, you know, people are kind of desensitized to that very cheap, you know, stuff that they get at a trade show. So how do you, you know, figure out the way to make it like exciting and cool for people um, and still affordable, but also sustainable? You know what I mean? There's like a lot of boxes that need to be, to be checked. Um, what... What other, like, what do you guys see as, as the future? Like, what are the younger people looking for in terms of, uh, of promotional products? I guess I can speak just as a millennial. Um, I think someone hit on this earlier about the, like, we don't need as much, you know, we don't want things anymore. We are more experience-based people. So I think that's what we want. We want, instead of just a product, we want, like, an unboxing. But it doesn't have to be big or anything, just a mini experience or a card even that's just in there. Little like, um, I'm trying to get into like even seated uh, paper puzzle pieces that have a nice message you can send with a thing. Just simple things like that that make it more meaningful and they're connected to the brand and company rather than just, oh, it's another pin to add to my collection. Right, right. Um, how are you, Daniel? Uh, yeah, so there's a good example um, that I've been We've been working more and more with seed products because I think it really straddles all of this really quite well. So um, a seed product is kind of like an experience, right? Because you get the promotional item, like you understand the messaging, and then you do something with it, right? So if it's, uh, if it's seed sticks or seed, seed matches, you know, that's an opportunity to um, pull another one out, you know, and plant it. Uh, you can have like a fun time doing it with your kids or whatever. Um, and there's really cool things. Suppliers like Symphony Seed Paper, Bloomin Promotions, um, lots of suppliers are getting into, into seed promotions right now. And they're great. A lot of them are USA made, so they have a lower eco footprint. Um, and then of course they're entirely biodegradable most of the time. 
Um, not only that, but they're creating plants that pull carbon out of the atmosphere. So it's a really easy kind of no-brainer solution um, for people. And it's it's kind of has the advantage of being new and, and interesting. So I'd love to hear what other people think about about seed products. Yeah, I think that's a, a great. And I like the, the point you brought up that it is kind of the seed products are an experience because I know like we talk about like experiential like marketing and experiences are what people want. And I think sometimes that can like not be a, a turnoff for our industry, but just kind of be like, wait a minute, we have, we're, we're products. So how can we help people have these experiences? But it's a good point that an experience isn't necessarily just like going to a concert or going and doing something specific. It can be like a product that has something that you do once you get it. Also, yeah, you know, it's funny. Oh, sorry, go. You, I was just, just going to tag along with uh, like things that you might not think of experiences as as being experiences. So I was thinking about when you go to the dentist and you get uh, their logo on like dental floss or on um, on a toothbrush, you know, that's an experience of a kind that uh, everyone's going to pull that out every morning for like, you know, at least a couple of months. It's just really awesome way to connect real life with a promotional product. It's not an exciting experience, but it's an experience. <laughs> and that's the kind of thinking that I think we need to be doing. And Lauren, what were you going to say? I was just going to add on. Yeah, I'm loving the like seed bombs and everything like that. And it's I love them as well. I'm trying to like market them as like it's a promotional product that's meant to be like thrown away per se. So, mm -hmm. you know, people, I have a whole like cabinet full of just like water bottles, jar, you know, things of pens and whatnot. So it's fun, you know, to promote throwing it away, but it's also a sustainable way. And, you know, it's also, you know, what they were saying, promoting growing trees and all that at the same time. And it is a bonding experience, whether with kids or your work. So it has so many great benefits. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, as long as you have a bit of a green thumb, I suppose, if once you've planted that product, even though you don't have the actual promotional item anymore, you if you if your plant is growing, you're going to have the memory and associate that with the company. Um, Daniel, what were you going to say? I just said, I, w I was hoping at some point in this conversation, it doesn't have to be now, that we could do some real talk about um, tote bags and water bottles, because I know that people often use those products as a sustainable choice. And I just think that needs to be fleshed out a little bit. Like at this point, I think a lot of us have like 10 or 20 or even more tote bags stuffed in some kind of a closet or drawer. And a lot of them are promotional products. And so if we're adding another one, uh, it's actually less sustainable in the end than using like a plastic bag that we have lying around. Uh, it takes a lot more energy to create a canvas tote bag uh, than it does to create, you know, a new plastic bag. So we have to start thinking about that and not just it. Like we're in danger of greenwashing a little bit when we say like give away a thousand um, canvas tote bags or non-woven tote bags because they're reusable and thus sustainable when the reality is that everyone has a million of these things and it'd be a much better choice for people to come to a conference with their own tote bag. All it takes is five seconds, just like the grocery store, like, oh, I'm going to an event. Let me bring a bag with me, you know? And the same thing with water bottles at this point. I think people are tend to be attached to their one or two, three max water bottles that do a good job, you know? And if we're handing out um, BPA-free and thus, and reusable and thus sustainable, water bottles that they're paying a dollar and a half for, what is the real likelihood that these products are going to be reused? And so I think one of the responsibilities that we have as an industry is to, is to kind of second guess our own language around sustainability that maybe cropped up 10, 15 years ago and isn't, isn't really applicable anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, there was a certain amount of like retraining that went into like, you know, teaching people like, yes, you should be using uh, like the reusable bags and you should be, you know, using water bottles. But you're you're right that a lot, of, like almost everybody has a ton of these already. So kind of what is the next step in, in um, you know, teaching people what, what is actually sustainable? What are, what are your thoughts on the bag and, and water bottle issue, Lauren? I feel exactly the same. If I get like one more bag or bottle order, I don't know. I just feel like, like me, like they have so they have to have so many. Like I don't go shopping that often. I don't need that many bags. So it does feel like wasteful to me. I'm trying to move into more like I'm a very 
I like functional things. Like for my birthday every year, I want socks or something I can wear that I'm going to get use out of. So I'm moving more into like eco-friendly apparel, uh, tech items, things that like are unique and new, but also useful. So you don't have it, but you're going to use it all the time and you won't be getting tons of them at least not in the next few months, but maybe over the next few years. So when, so when you get somebody that wants to do like that, that bag or that water bottle order, like do you try to steer them in a different way? Like what is your response to that? Yeah. So if they're dead set on bags, I at least try to figure out like what their target audience is or like, you know, what it's for. And I try to find a different bag that they wouldn't have. Like a lot of people order just, you know, the basic woven shopper totes. And I'm like, how about we do a recycled mesh tote for fruits or something else that you don't have yet. And then you can use it for other things you carry as well, like blankets. I don't know, but at least it's a little bit of different variety uh, if you're going to stick with that. But you know, at the end of the day, if they still want that back, I'm, I'm all for it. But I try my best to give variety and keep it eco in as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. How about how about you, Daniel? Do you have like um, something you do to change people's minds on those products? Uh, no, I. It's exactly the same as with with Lauren. You know, um, do my best, and then you got to get the client what they want ultimately, and. It's a really hard question for for me, like being in this industry intentionally to um, to make a difference for people and and workers in the environment. Like that's my entire reason for being. So it's it's tough because I don't think that order is good ultimately for the world of of just these um, these grocery shoppers that most of them are going to get thrown away. But I have to survive, right? So how how do we Ultimately, I want our business to grow so that we can have a larger platform um, and be able to say no to these orders. Uh, so I want people to second guess their normal way of doing business. If, a, <clears throat> if an organization comes to me and they're just like, their purchaser says, I need 2,000 tote bags for, for a convention. USA Made is fine, whatever. I don't care about the eco. Um, can you do it or not? I want to be able to say, you know, our, that that's not in line with our company's vision and values, and um, it's non-sustainable. And sorry, we can't help you. Which is what we do with people who want, um, you know, a T-shirt made in Guatemala or made in China that doesn't have labor regulations that we can depend on. I want to be able to do that with the environment as well. I just I can't do both and still have a business. Um, so it it's about doing as much straight talk as I as I possibly can and not papering over. The environmental impacts of their decision but yeah it's not it's not ideal um and i i want to and i want to train our staff to go right up to the point of saying no to the order without actually saying no just try it try a few times and maybe that's all that we can ask the typical distributor is give it a shot every time think about the environment um before you just say sure whatever you want to the person yeah yeah well, how often do you guys find that you're able to change someone's mind and get them to go with the more sustainable choice? Honestly, I feel like it's not too difficult for me just because that's what the whole basis of my, you know, side is. So I think when people come to me, it's going to be sustainable, but I get the few who come to me looking for like a discount, a cheaper deal. And honestly, like I'm at the point where like, I know who I want to work with and I know, you know, my, what I'm looking for, my purpose, it was sustainability. So if they don't match, I will kindly and like provide, send them to like four inbred or someone else so they can get what they need. But. Okay. Well, what about you, Daniel? Um, I think so because a lot of people come to our site for the labor rights um, or the made in USA part and the sustainability thing is an afterthought, we have a little bit of more room to, to convince people, but there's definitely an overlap in values there. So I think we're pretty well situated to get people into more sustainable choices than they would otherwise have. And we, we try to use that opportunity. And I think I have fair success. Um, and the way that we have the best success is again by emphasizing the benefits of that choice over the other choice. So one of the ways that I haven't talked about yet to do that is to be like real specific. Um, we have this 
uh, supplier in North Carolina that is just doing such amazing things with with socks right now and with um, and with beanies, where they take the scraps from the textile industry in in their region of of Western North Carolina. They assemble it all together and they have a plant, and then um, all of that textile waste gets sledged together into uh, and then made into yarn um, that gets stitched into into socks, and that's what they sell is this like completely upcycled sock. Um, that has essentially zero footprint. And so what I can do is when people are asking for socks or for beanies, for example, which are made the same way, is I've invested in learning about that um, facility. I've been out there a couple of times um, and I can talk about real stories of real human beings involved in that. And I can send links to nonprofits that are involved. And these kinds of things, like uh, they pull on people's heartstrings a little bit if I do it right. And um they, it's easier, easier for them to hop on board of something that's a little bit more expensive if they have a good story behind it. Uh, and when I, when I take the time to really tell that story and try to engage with them, um, they're more likely to, to hop on board with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, well, I mean, as, as a writer, of course, I think that stories are, are super important in changing people's minds. Um, but what is, what is that supplier that you were talking about? So they're not in ASI, um, but they're called, the brand is called Collection. They're at createthecollection.com. The nonprofit is called the Industrial Commons, and they are so amazing um, working out of Western North Carolina. And what they're trying to do ultimately is root wealth in the, in the community uh, in Western North Carolina, which has been decimated over the decades by globalization. And there's kind of like a wasteland of um, textile suppliers from that region who have been holding on to the remnants of uh, the USA textile industry. And it's bringing them all together to share resources, share clients, do training together. But then they're also doing it under this ethos of sustainable production and also uh, worker ownership and worker empowerment. So it's obviously ideal for us. And uh, we're working to get them into the um, collegiate licensed apparel marketplace. Uh, as kind of a shoe in the door to the larger promotional products industry. And I'm hoping that as that takes off, they will, um, they will join ASI and everything, which would be awesome. But right now, uh, the individual mills associated with that network tend to do contract work um, for other companies. Okay. Well, it sounds really interesting. So I hope they do become ASI members at some point. Um, uh, I see Danny Rosen, you're a speaker now. Did you have some comments or questions that you wanted to um, bring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fascinating. So excited about it. You guys are really dropping some some good knowledge here for all of us. And it's inspiring and hopeful. And I think we've, as an industry, we've got a lot to learn from, from you all, um, which is exciting. Uh, I, I wanted to share just some stats that uh, – relate to, uh, I think, hope and maybe promise for the future around sustainability. We ran a, um, at Brandfuel, we ran a survey up against some customers and we had pretty good response. And the question that we asked was, how much do you value sustainability when purchasing branded merchandise? And we gave them three options. The first one was, uh, we need to prioritize budget over sustainability. Um, the second was, we would consider increasing our budget to invest in more sustainable branded merchandise. And the last one was, we will only purchase branded merchandise that is sourced in a sustainable manner. And I think it's kind of fascinating to look at these responses. So the first one was about, you know, basically it's all about price. We're not, sustainability doesn't matter. So um, we had uh, 42% of customers said that price is going to matter most, budget matters. Um, the middle column, which is they are considering increasing and they're willing to spend more, was the largest uh, response rate, which was 44%. Um, and this last one, which is we only purchase in that way, and it maybe it's a, some of just because it's Brandfield's customers, but I do think it's kind of hopeful that, um, that there are companies that will only purchase in this way, that like, that's their lane. And finding those companies and uplifting the entire industry and, and um and really getting to that place for, for other customers is promising. The, the response rate there was 13%, which you might say that's the smallest of the three, but I, I think that's strong that a company would say we only will purchase uh, sustainable merchandise. So I just wanna share those with you because I, I think it's hope for the future. I think it's, it's a trend for sure. 
uh, I can say honestly, I, we didn't do a, um, a survey like this, you know, two or five years ago to bump it up against anything. But um, gut check says that we're moving in the right direction. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing. And I think, you know, that is a really important point that <clears throat> excuse me, 13% does seem small, but at the same time, you know, it's a, that's such a definitive kind of declarative statement. So most people are not going to say, oh, we only do that. But that 13% can say that's the only thing we will do. I think that is significant. Um, Danny, um, can I ask you a question? How many respondents did you have? So we had just under 200 respondents. And so these would be, um, then these are uh, high level marketing professionals. There may be a few HR professionals in there as well, but mostly um, high level folks. Gotcha. Thanks, Danny. You got it. Yeah, that's a, a decent um, response rate too. Um, so I'm wondering, does any, do any of you guys have other um, thoughts you wanted to share or other ideas for, you know, getting the, like the customer buy-in for, for sustainable stuff, anything else you wanted to, to mention? Well, I guess I think that um, this, this particular group that you all are putting together uh, at ASI is crucial to that um, because we're, we're always as distributors, we're always going to have pressure and as suppliers um, on the bottom line, right? So we need help in um, changing business as usual to do the right thing. And, and I think that help is in terms of resources. So just creating this group is a good start. Um, but what else can we do to, to give ourselves a sense that we're not acting alone and we're not giving ourselves a competitive disadvantage by pushing eco-friendly items? Um, you know, both Lauren's organization and mine are oriented around that. Um, so we've already kind of made that decision. And so people who don't, don't care about it aren't really going to show up at our door asking. But that makes us kind of niche distributors, right? We want this, um, we want sustainability to pervade the entire industry so that instead of being part of the problem, we're part of the solution. So how do we, over time, pull out the best ideas from conversations like these? Um, and take it to the next level where I think part of, I think it's really interesting about that survey. And then, but I also think that there's kind of a disconnect between people saying what they would do and what they want to do and what they actually do. Right. And in order to bridge that gap, um, everyone needs to be involved. So it's not just the consumer, but it's also the suppliers and distributors and the industry itself creating structure around it. Um, that's what's going to get it to that decision-making point, I think. So uh, in the future, I would like us to think about what are the best ideas and how can we ask our fellow distributors and suppliers to make very specific changes that aren't going to threaten our livelihood but can move the needle sort of on sustainability where we can say we can make the decision a little bit better, like, hey, we're not going to do this particular item that always gets thrown away. We're just going to say no on that one. Like the, um, the non-woven tote bags, for example, that keeps getting beaten up in this conversation. Um, maybe we can get a couple of hundred or 500 distributors to say, uh, we're not going to do that anymore. That will give us kind of like coverage to make those decisions. So you're thinking like some sign, some kind of pledge or something that, that distributors would take? Yeah, like within our own little ASI family here. Interesting. Uh, Lauren, do you have anything else that you, you wanted to mention or add today? Um, no, I think everyone touched on good things. But yeah, I think it is kind of like our duty, though, as promotion of the industry to educate not only about like sustainability, but if we show like the benefits of it and how I think that's what the key is. Like I think people are get so fixed on the budgets, but if they can understand the overall benefits if like longer term instead of just short term oh my god our budget it would be much better for everyone in general but until we can all come to the consensus that we need to turn to a more sustainable lifestyle it's gonna still be hit or miss but yeah i'm surprised by those um polls but also it's nice to see that we are trending in that direction yeah for sure 
Uh, I'm wondering if anyone else in the audience has any questions or anything that they would like to, to comment on before we end today. Yeah, feel free to request the mic and I can get you um, up on stage, so to speak, and you can share your comments, questions. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a, a question. It can be a comment like, like Danny Rosen had. Um, but yeah, just request that mic and I can get you up there. I, I do think it was interesting um, because Lauren just touched upon the survey results uh, and 13%, of course, Danny Rosen said, um, you know, we're, we're going to purchase only ethically sourced products. And that may not sound like a lot, but he was right. He said that he, he doesn't have a basis of comparison for that. He didn't do this a year ago or five years ago, which to me, I think the data would have been pretty incredible because I think five years ago, you would have saw a number that was substantially lower. And I think that, you know, the, the needle is definitely moving. I've seen uh, the needle move a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, especially, so, especially with the um, pandemic, I think the last like two and a half years has really like shifted people's focus. Right. Right. Um, and I do have a question for, um, you know, Lauren and Daniel um, and whoever wants to jump in on this can, how do you prove um, to your buyers that, your products are indeed um, ethically sourced and they're not greenwashing. Yeah, so I'm actually working on rebranding or redoing my whole website right now for this exact thing because I want to be super transparent with everyone and I really want to educate people on, you know, like my goal for my website or my business is it's more than merch. Like it, it gives back every time you buy something, it either will donate to like 1% for the planet or you're planting something. Um, oh my gosh, I just got off track. Um, what was the question again? Oh my gosh, I got too excited. <laughs> How do you prove that you're not? Oh yes. Okay. Right? So yeah. So I, I feel like I'm like not scamming people, but because I don't have you know, a page really dedicated to like how we source things, where we get it from, all the materials. I'm trying to work on adding pages where people can go watch how we make our like sea bombs symphony. Um, you know, they have a great factory here in the U.S. I think someone mentioned and they have, I think, um, videos and stuff that shows how they make it. So I'm trying to get more, you know, I'm showing people that's more than just a product, how it's made. And then I think people will get more into the whole sustainable lifestyle but yeah, I'm adding more, um, you know, easy to find resources on our page and where it's made, the material, so that they can see from right away what we're doing without having to email me. And I get too many of those, and I feel it's wrong. But you know, I'm working on it. Thanks, Lauren. What about you, Daniel? Yeah, it's such a great question. So we need to get past this um, the situation where you're scrolling through products and it's got like an eco-friendly icon on it. So you're like, oh, great, covered, you know, and then nobody really discusses what that means. Um, like, for example, you could have uh, a water bottle um, made from some recycled materials, you know, but, but meanwhile, the water bottles made in China and some of its parts are made somewhere else. And then there's this entire transit cost um, from getting the product from China over here that's not even discussed and it's still labeled as an, as an eco-friendly item. So I, I, don't, I don't think that there's, um, there's any like quick way to prove um, an, the eco-friendliness of an item or sustainability because of the complexity of supply chains, right? So um, like Lauren said, it's all about the education and having that, that background information out there is so important. Although I would say that in my experience, people aren't looking for it, uh, except for like one out of a hundred times, somebody will say, hey, what do you mean by sustainable? Or like, all right, this t-shirt is organic cotton. Where does the cotton come from? And are the, what is the, the eco footprint of getting that cotton over to the, to the US if it's organic Chinese cotton, for example? You know, and so there's not a lot of pressure coming from the clients for us to explain what we mean by that. And, and so the onus is on us to, to do that transport um, transparency, like Lauren is saying, but we need to have resources to do that. Um, so I, I would humbly claim that it's the large distributorships um, that should be paving the way on that 
transparency and and making certifications more more visible and educational resources more available that we as uh, smaller distributors can uh, piggyback on and point to. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up question to you, Daniel. Was do people even care? Do they ask? Um, and you said one out of a hundred, perhaps. Uh, so to me, I feel like yes, you can label anything eco friendly. Oh yes, like you said, you know, it checks off a box. You don't ask any questions. But going back to what you guys discussed earlier about millennials and and the buying power now is is getting younger and younger. I think it's going to matter more than one in a hundred. I think it's going to start to increase. I think you're going to start getting more questions about um, where your products are coming from, uh, how are they sourced, uh, and having something on your website like you're trying to do, Lauren, is going to work to your advantage down the line at some point. Um, you know, being proactive right now and getting some type of uh, literature on your website talking about the sustainable the sustainable aspect of your company, I think is is important. Um, you know, and it's you know it's better to be proactive than reactive. You know, and lose a possible client if you can't prove to them that you know you you are indeed um, you know putting your money where your mouth or you're putting what is that old phrase putting your money where your mouth is. I don't even know. I think, right. that, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> your, brain, your brain seems to be a little addled then, but yeah, that's you know. definitely a, a phrase. Yeah. For sure. The old phrase. Um, but yeah, so I think having something on your on your website claiming and showing proof is is certainly important. Yeah, and I think I mean one thing is that I don't know that customers always know the right questions to ask because I think it is such a, a broad and intimidating kind of topic. Like we know, oh, we want to do things that are better for the planet, but you know, what does that mean when you start to look at like the the whole supply chain and how complex it is? Um, I have noticed <clears throat> this is maybe less in the, the commercial industry, but there's a lot of uh, apparel, like sustainable apparel companies that have started putting like QR codes, like right in their t-shirts um, where you can like scan it and then it'll like give you all the details on, you know, where the cotton came from and then where it was, you know, ginned and where it was spun and where it was sewn. And um, I think I, I really, th I, I'm not sure how many people are going and using that, but it definitely I think it's a really interesting trend if you can kind of bake that um, traceability and, and transparency right into the product itself so that people can just, you know, scan it with their phone and find out what they want to know. Like there was a the company I was just looking at the other day, you could actually see the, the sheep that your the wool um, was shorn, you know, that they took the, the wool from to make your sweater. So it's like it can get to, down to this really like granular granular level but you just have to make it easy for consumers to, to, to find it and to understand what they're looking for. Yeah, that part can be disheartening because it takes a lot of work to do that stuff. And then um, people are like, oh, cool. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. You know, then it's like, dang, why did I why did I stop what I was doing to to dot all those I's and cross all those T's? And um, it's totally correct that that needs to be done. Um, and that just because we care doesn't mean that we're actually making a positive impact unless we've done all of the background research. Uh, and to communicate that uh, is an important step, even if it is for one out of, you know, 10 or one out of 100 people at the moment. Hopefully it is going in the right direction. Um, but but it's definitely challenging to do to do that work when you feel like you're shouting into the wind sometimes. So I think most of the energy should be around leading um, rather than providing information um, on the back end, which again needs to happen. But like, how do we lead people to care more? Uh, I feel like we've been waiting for this moment when millennials were going to start demanding that everything be uh, ethically made, you know, and it, it hasn't kind of transpired yet. Yeah, yeah. So it is. There is. I think you're right. The 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 leadership and the the education, like getting people to to want to do this, is just has to happen on that front end. Also, I was just gonna add. Um, I I've, I've talked to Vincent about this before, but uh, I've started to make it fun to educate people as well. We're we're educating without even them knowing about how sustainable things are through TikTok and like Instagram. I'm learning that people, you know, 
are very visual and can just post things and talk about it on that. They don't even know it exists or they knew it exists, but because they're seeing it in action, they are more inclined to want to buy it and then become eco-friendly because they see it in our, you know, I like that though. People are millennials at least and Gen Z are moving that direction. So you kind of have to move and appeal to the new buyers in that sense too. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point, Lauren, with the power of social media. And we, you know, I've been preaching that for many years uh, and that's just another avenue to get involved. If, you know, sustainability is your bag, you know, use social media, get involved. Uh, You're right. You know, it's a very visual, they're all visual mediums. Obviously we're in the one medium that's not visual, Um, but um, you know, most social media platforms, the preferred, you know, medium is video and, you know, take your business pages and, and use them to your advantage and get, get your sustainability initiatives involved there and make it fun. Like you said, Lauren, um, the, the way I discovered you was through TikTok. You know, you are very active on TikTok and you, you are very bullish when it comes to um, sustainability and you can see it play out in your, in your TikToks. And it's pretty refreshing to see somebody who's very interested in the educational aspect uh, of sustainability, but also having fun with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, check Lauren out on on TikTok. She's doing a lot of really great things for sustainability there. Uh, but that should be that should be the the mission of, of all businesses where sustainability is at you know, the core to their values, it's, you know, you should be showing that off in your social media as well. It should be an extension of your, of your value system. Um, you know, and social media is not going away. Like I've been preaching for many years. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just evolving and we've evolved to include TikTok now in our business arsenals and it's, it's working. So continue to use social media. I can't stress that enough. You don't think it's just a fad? No, the internet was a fad, right? <laughs> the internet is a fad. It's all it's all just a fad. Thirty years ago, we, we said <laughs> the internet was a fad, right? Uh, so no, social media is not a fad, um, and it's it's going to continue to to grow and evolve uh, like anything else. So uh, to me, that's um, you know that's a, that's an important aspect too, uh, Lauren. Thank you for for adding that. Uh, Teresa, do you want to wrap up? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So. I just want to, you know, thank everybody for for showing up, you know, Lauren and, and Daniel for speaking, <clears throat> and and the rest of you for coming and listening, and and Danny for for coming and you know sharing those 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 stats, and then I guess like dropping off uh, off the call. But um, you know, I think this is like a, a very interesting topic, and obviously we're trying to cover sustainability, you know, quite a bit this year with with Plum, promo for the planet. So um, you know, we'll be doing you know, more webinars, more um, stories, just, it's, it's just going to continue. So I, I think that this is an important topic that we are going to continue to try to educate the industry about and hopefully, hopefully kind of move the needle. So um, thank you guys all for coming today and um, have a great day.